Well, good morning. He is risen. Amen. Thank you for being part of our service today. We've had a great day so far in the Lord at Mount Airy Baptist Church. Uh, great services. And I'm glad that you're part of our service here today. I know we baptized one today. We always celebrate that. And we baptized another one in the, in the uh, 945 service. And today in the 11 o'clock LC service, they're baptizing seven today. And so we're grateful. We're grateful that we're uh, seeing lives change. So thank you so much for being here. Today is the last week in a series that we are calling Only Jesus. And first two Sundays, we've looked at this. First of all, we said that only Jesus is my substitute. And then the second Sunday was only Jesus is my sacrifice. Today, what I want to tell you is this. Only Jesus is my Savior. John the Baptist referred to Jesus this way. He saw Jesus one day and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we've been looking at the concept of Jesus being a lamb. A lamb that is our substitute, a lamb that is our sacrifice, a lamb that is our Savior. Now I like the video that we just watched because it demonstrates that people who have all kinds of very different lives can have a new life in Jesus Christ. There's an interesting story in the Bible that illustrates that. There's an interesting story in the Bible about the resurrection of Jesus, and the thing that makes it interesting is this. It shows that not everyone comes to faith in Christ in the same way. And not everyone comes to faith in Christ at the same time. For some of you believing in Jesus... That he is alive is a simple step of faith. It was not a big step of faith for you. It was a simple step of faith. But for others, some of you here today probably find it hard to believe. You find it hard to believe perhaps because your life is in such a mess. You're convinced that perhaps God wouldn't want anything to do with you. And you just find it hard to believe this whole thing about forgiveness. And your past could be, oh, could be forgiven and you could be made new. And, and you found it a little bit hard to believe in Jesus for that reason. Or maybe someone here today has lost someone this year. And this has been a hard Easter for you. This is the first Easter without them. And grief has consumed you. Right now you find it hard to believe in anything. Because you're just hurting so much. Or perhaps you struggle with the whole Jesus concept. The whole Jesus thing might be something that you struggle with. I mean, he seems to work for others. Others talk about him, and, but you're not sure if he's real. You're not sure if this whole Jesus thing is legitimate or not. You're looking for some evidence, some kind of proof, something to prove to you that Jesus is who he says he is before you take such a dramatic step. I can identify with those scenarios because I've talked to people through those scenarios over the years. But if you're in one of those situations, let me say something to you that may lower the walls a little bit. Let me say something to you that that might just simply help lower your guard a little bit. Here's what I want to say to you today. If you're in one of those scenarios, listen carefully. I understand. I really do. If you struggle to believe in all this Jesus stuff, I understand. If you're hurting so much and you're so torn by what's in your past, you you don't believe God could, could forgive you, I understand. If you're so consumed with grief, you can't believe in anything right now, I understand. 
Not everyone comes to faith in Christ in the same way. There's a story in the Bible that shows that. Because even on resurrection morning, are you listening? Even on resurrection morning, when the sun came up on Easter morning, not everyone was convinced that Jesus was alive. John 20 tells that story. Would you open God's Word? John chapter 20. John chapter 20 tells the story of three people who had very different responses to the resurrection. Three different people. One was a man named John, one was a man named Peter, and one was a man named Thomas. Their stories are all told in John chapter 20. And all of them, each of them, had a very different response to the resurrection. John chapter 20. I'm going to ask you in honor of God's word to stand with me and we'll just read the first few verses. Chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, isn't that interesting? Mary Magdalene came running to the disciples, and she did not say, He's alive! He's risen! He's risen indeed! Mary Magdalene came and said, They've taken him. They've done something with his body. Let's read the story. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of the linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And look at these words. They're highlighted in my Bible. He saw... And believe. Father, I pray that you'd help us to see and believe. Though for some of us that is a huge step. For some it is a huge struggle. For some we might even refuse to do that. But may by the power of your Holy Spirit and the inspiration of your word, may you convince us today that Jesus is living and Jesus is Lord. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. There are three quick pictures I want to paint for you today from this scripture. The first one is a picture of John. John is a picture of one who quickly believes in Jesus. In these verses, he's simply referred to as the apostle or the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, wouldn't you like to have that nickname? Wouldn't that be a good way to be referred to the, the apostle, the disciple, that Jesus loved. That was John. And on Easter Sunday, John is in a foot race with Peter. They're running to the tomb because Mary Magdalene has said, somebody has taken his body. And so they're running towards the tomb, and John, the Bible says, gets there first. But he stands, and he's looking in at everything. And then Peter finally huffs and puffs his way there, and then Peter gets there, and he didn't hesitate. He goes right on in. And Peter sees everything. He sees the linen line there, the, the bare cloths and all of that. And finally, John goes inside, and we see in verse 8 these words. Finally, the other disciple, that is John, 
who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Then and there, standing in that empty tomb, John believed. Now, John's a picture of many of you, perhaps. Believing in Christ is just not that big of a step for you. It, was, it didn't take much to nudge you into faith. It didn't take much to get you to take that step. It didn't take long for you to decide. That's my story. John's a picture of me, perhaps a picture of you. Just didn't take, I grew up in a Christian home, I always knew about Jesus, always heard about Jesus, and once I was confronted with that Jesus is, could be my Savior, it didn't take me long to decide. It wasn't much for me to take that step over. It seemed just natural for me. That's perhaps your story, some of you. But then there's a second person in this story. We've got John, a picture of somebody who, e- who believes easily. The other person in this story is a man named Peter. Peter is the picture of a man who struggles to believe. When we read the text, it's interesting what happened to Peter. Simon Peter walked in. He saw the linen cloth, but it doesn't say that he believed. Just read the text with me again in verse 20. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived, went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Peter saw all of this, but there's no record here where it says, Peter saw and he believed. In fact, just the opposite occurred. In Luke's gospel, Luke 24, 12, it says, and I quote, Peter saw the strips of linen lined by themselves, and listen to this, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Peter walked away scratching his head. Peter walked away from the empty tomb. John saw and he believed. Peter walked away from the empty tomb, and he's thinking, I don't know. I don't know what went on there. I don't know what happened here. You see, the evidence was right in front of him, but he couldn't see it. Now, I don't know if it was last week or, or, or perhaps the week before, but recently I was, I was doing my nightly ritual of eating a bowl of cereal before bed. I need to stop that ritual, but that's kind of my ritual. And, and I got out my bowl, and I got out my cereal. I don't remember what it was. It's probably Fruit Loops and, and the Breakfast of Champions. And so, and so I had my Fruit Loops. I poured it in the bowl. I went to the refrigerator and opened the door. There was no milk. I want you to know, when, when your mouth and your stomach is ready for a bowl of Fruit Loops... And there is no milk. It is a disappointing thing. But it is what it is. And so I went back over to the counter. I got the bowl. I started pouring it back into the box. And Lisa walked in and said, what are you doing? I said, we don't have any milk. She said, yes, we do. I said, no, we don't. I I just looked. She said, we have almond milk. (laughs) For those of you who don't know what almond milk is, it's just white water. That's all it is. She got me down to 2%, but I'm not going below 2 I'm telling you right now. But I said to her, no, there's not, even, there's not any almond milk. I even look for that. There's no almond milk. She said, yeah, there is. She said, look again. I opened the door. I showed her the blank shelf. I said, see, there is no almond milk. She said, look down. And sure enough, hiding on the bottom shelf 
was a carton of almond milk. And then this is what she said. She said, Keith, if it's not eye level, you don't see it. Now, how many women can give testimony? You're married to a guy like that. Thank you. I don't feel as bad now. You know, Peter, Peter, needed, uh, Peter needed Lisa in that tomb that day. <laughs> he did. He needed somebody to show him what he was seeing because he couldn't see it. He saw it, but he couldn't see it. The Bible says he walked away scratching his head. Well, he doesn't say scratch his head, but he walked away trying to, trying to figure out, trying to figure out what he's just seen. Why did Peter find it so hard to believe? We don't know for sure. The Bible really doesn't tell us, but I have a theory. Simon Peter had failed the Lord, and it might just be that his past was causing him difficulty in believing he was still on God's invitation list. In Mark 16, verse 6 and 7, it says, The angel appeared to Mary Magdalene, and the angel said, Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. This is as if God said, or Jesus said, I want to make sure. I want to make sure Peter knows he's still on the team. John is a picture who finds it easy to believe. It wasn't that big of a step, but he just saw and he believed. Peter is a picture of someone who struggled to believe, but he found out that Jesus still cared about him, even with his past. But the one I really want to focus on today is the picture of John, or picture of Thomas. Thomas is a picture of one who refuses to believe. Even though the others believed in the resurrection of Jesus, Thomas refused to believe. Let's pick up the story, if you will, please. Verse 24, we're going to fast forward. Jesus appeared to the disciples, verse 19. He appeared to the disciples. Thomas was not present. And so later it says, verse 24, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Now stop there. Do you think they said that with any excitement at all? Oh, we cannot even imagine how excited they were that ten, not just one, ten people saying very excitedly, we have seen the Lord. Now, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. It's not, I find it hard to believe it. It was not, it's kind of a struggle for me. Thomas was the one who said, I will not believe it. In fact, that, that will not is very emphatic in the Greek language. It is a, there's a double negative there. And it's the, the double negative is ume. I remember all the way back in seminary many years ago, my Greek professor t- teaching me what ume means. He says it means this, I will not never under any circumstance. It's very emphatic. When you put an ume, when you put a double negative, it's very, very emphatic. And here's what Thomas said, unless I see 
those nail prints, and unless I put my finger in those nail prints, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not never under any circumstance believe he's alive. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody that is determined not to believe? I've met them. You perhaps have someone like that in your family, somebody that you love very dearly, but they are determined not to believe. Maybe that's you today, and you came to please your wife or you came to please somebody, you came to please your husband, you came to please your daughter, uh, but you came, and I'm glad that you're here, but deep down inside, you're like Thomas, aren't you? You're very resistant. You've built the wall. You've declared to others, or at least to yourself, I will not believe. I remember very, very clearly a, a dear man in my first church whose name was Carol. Carol's wife was on the pulpit committee that brought me to Crestview. Carol's brother-in-law was the chairman of the pulpit committee that brought me to Crestview. Carol's other brother-in-law was the chairman of our deacons for several years, and he was my right-hand man, my right-hand deacon. Uh, Carol had some godly people around him. I mean, people who were the pillars of our church, but Carol was not a Christian. And Carol had no intention of being a Christian. And whenever the new preacher came to town, it was always his responsibility to go see Carol. And I did that. And I I was young and energetic, and I, I gave him everything I knew to give him. I told him everything I knew to tell him. I almost made up verses just to try to convince him. You know, you need to do this. And Carol told me, this, is, this has been years ago, so this is a paraphrase, I don't remember exactly, but Carol told me something like this. I know Mary believes it, and I know Curtis believes it, and I know John believes it, but I will not become a Christian. Some people are like that. It's not that they struggle to believe like Peter They refused to believe. That was Thomas. In fact, Thomas was so disillusioned and so discouraged that when they had this prayer meeting and everybody showed up, Thomas didn't even go. And later, when the other disciples found him, they told him, we've seen the Lord. And it says in verse 25, I want you to see this. Verse Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. That, that verb there, told him, told, it, it means that, in the original language, it means that they kept telling him over and over. They kept telling him over and over. But not even his ten friends could change his mind. Some of you know what that's like too. Your wife has kept telling you over and over and over that Jesus is real. And your brother has told you over and over. And your dad told you. And your grandmother. And your cousin. And your daughter. And your co-worker. And your hunting buddy. And they keep telling you over and over and over that Jesus is real. But you still find it hard to believe what they believe. That's Thomas. Thomas said, The only way I'm going to believe is if he proves himself to me. If I see the nail prints, if I put my hand there, if he proves himself to me. And so let's pick up the story, verse 26. A week later, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, 
and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. And I've underlined or highlighted this in my Bible. Stop doubting and believe. Can I say something to you? Even if you do not believe in God, God believes in you. And even if you've given up on God, He hasn't given up on you. So He came to Thomas. And he said, I want to show you. I want you to know. And I want you to stop doubting and believe. Maybe God's saying that to you today. Stop doubting. It's time to stop doubting and believe. And in that moment, Thomas suddenly realized that everything he refused to believe was true. As he looked at the hands of Jesus, and as he perhaps put his finger there, as he perhaps put his hand in his side, in that moment, he realized, everything I refuse to believe is true. And then he said, my Lord and my God. two things about that that are very significant. Thomas reached two conclusions very quickly. The first conclusion is the most obvious one. Thomas concluded very quickly, Jesus is alive. When Thomas saw Jesus, the doubting stopped. When Thomas saw Jesus, he recognized that he had been crucified, he was dead, he knew where the tomb was, and now he sees Jesus. Jesus is alive. That was his first conclusion. His second conclusion followed that very, very closely, and it was this. Jesus is Lord. The first thing that came out of his mouth after he realized that Jesus is alive was, my Lord and my God. Can I say to you, this is where salvation occurs. This is where salvation occurs. When you recognize that Jesus is indeed living and you declare that he is Lord. I have heard from people from time to time when I have talked to them about Christ and do you believe in Jesus and all those kind of things. And they have sometimes said something like this to me. Well, I believe in the man upstairs. And they're very sincere. But they say to me, I believe, preacher, don't worry about it. I believe in the man upstairs. I want to try to say this compassionately, but truthfully. That is not saving faith. Saving faith is not when you believe in the man upstairs. Saving faith is when you believe that Jesus died on the cross as your sacrifice and your substitute, and you declare that Jesus is now Lord of your life. That's saving faith. See, a Christian is not someone who is a good person or a religious person. A Christian is someone who, who has decided that only Jesus deserves to be in charge of my life. 
In fact, the Apostle Paul picked up on this later in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, when he wrote these words. Paul said that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul said you, you have to have both of those things. It's not believing in the man upstairs, but it is believing, first of all, that he's alive. God raised him from the dead. And believing that he's Lord and making him your Lord. And that's what Thomas did. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Now I recognize today is Easter and, and in just a little bit you guys are going to go eat lunch somewhere and then probably in a little, little after that you're gonna, if you've got kids or grandkids you're going to have an Easter egg hunt. It reminded me as I was thinking about that that um, my daughter Kelly is here, my oldest and um, her husband as well. I don't want to slight him. My son-in-law. Um, but when Kelly was about two or three years old, we went to an egg hunt, Easter egg hunt. And the other little kids there, and, you know, we, we hit all the eggs, and then we let them come out and get them. And Kelly's just cute as a button. I mean, she still is, but she was just cute as a button. She, she was just two or three, little blonde curls. She had that little Easter basket, little jacket on. And she was just kind of walking around, and she just... She was just kind of smiling at everything, looking, watching everybody. She didn't have many eggs in her basket. She did not get the concept, you're supposed to put the eggs in the basket. And so she's just kind of walking around, looking and smiling. And... So I did what any good competitive parent would do. <laughs> you would have too, that's why you're laughing. See, as the adult, I could see where the eggs are. Kelly could care less where the eggs are, or, or she couldn't find them. So as the adult, I could see where the eggs are. So what I did is I got her attention, and I showed her where the eggs were. And she filled her basket, and I was so proud of her. And I wish I could do that for you. I wish my faith could fill your basket. I wish your wife's faith could fill your basket. I wish your grandmother's faith could fill your basket or your husband's faith or your daughter's faith. I wish their faith could fill your basket. But the truth of the matter, Thomas, is this. You have to come to the conclusion Jesus is alive and I will make him Lord of my life. Who better to be in charge of your life than the one who died for it, buried, resurrected, defeated death, hell, and the grave? Who better to be in charge than him? Thomas, here's what you need to do. You need to say these words from your heart. My Lord. My God. My Savior. Because nobody else can fill your basket for you. As desperately as they want to. Nobody else can do that for you. Today, today Jesus is waiting for you to express your faith. And it, you might be like John. It might be a, a, an easy step for you. You might be like Peter, and it's, it's kind of a struggle because of your past. Or you might be like Thomas, and you're just stubbornly refusing to believe what others believe. You're holding out, not willing to surrender. I want you to listen to the last few words of chapter 20. 
beginning in verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. You know what John was saying here as he wrote these words? John was saying the same thing that happened to John the Apostle, the same thing that happened to Peter, same thing that happened to Thomas can happen to you, and that's why I wrote this gospel. The same thing that happened to them can happen to you so that you can believe. Did you know that if you were to do that today, that your name would be recorded in heaven? Did you know that if at the end of this service, if you come forward and say, Pastor, I'm trusting Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I believe Jesus is alive. I believe he's living. I believe he's Lord. I want to make him my Lord and my God. And did you know that if you do that today, the Bible says that God's going to write your name down in heaven. Listen to Revelation, verse 20, chapter 21, verse 27. Talking about heaven, it says, Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who have claimed Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Only those who have accepted what He did and placed their faith in Him, that He is living and He is Lord. Only those have their names written in that book. And so, there was a day when Almighty God wrote down the name John. It was a day sometime later after that when Almighty God wrote down the name Peter. There was even a day when God, maybe with a smile on his face, wrote down the name Thomas. It was a day when I was 11 years old when God wrote down the name Thomas Keith Shorter. Has he ever written your name in that book? In the Lamb's Book of Life? Preacher, I believe in the man upstairs. I didn't ask you that. I ask you, has God ever written your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Today, he wants so badly to write your name there. Today, he's giving you another opportunity to say, yes, I believe. Would you bow with me? Every head bowed, every heart open to what God wants to say. I, I ask you today, I, I know that it's Easter and you've got things to do, but, but I'm asking you not to leave, not to move around unless you're moving forward. This is a holy time. This is the time we've prayed for and worked for. And this is a time where you have a chance to respond to God. This could be the day that you have missed all of these years. If you've never consciously given yourself to the one who gave his life for you, you can do that today. The Bible says it this way. For by grace are you saved through faith. See, everybody lives by faith. All of us do. The difference is the object of our faith. 
Christians put their faith in Jesus, while unsaved people put their faith in themselves. I'm going to ask you today to say, Jesus, I believe that you're alive. Come live in me. Come live in me. So whether your name is John or Peter or Thomas, Mary or Sue, Curtis or Carol, God's inviting you to come. His pen is ready. He would love on this day to write your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Another one who has trusted in only Jesus. Only Jesus is our substitute. Only Jesus is our sacrifice. Only Jesus can be our Savior. Father, I pray that even though the crowd is large and the building is crowded, I pray that your spirit would be so evident and so real that you would draw us to yourself. And I pray that someone here today might trust you as their Savior, that they may cry out, My Lord and my God. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and save me. I want you to be Lord in my life as well as my Savior. I pray somebody would do that today for your glory and your honor. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.